Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Our Three Cents. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. A lovely masonette. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Bet you can't eat three. We have taken a break from our usual countdown of our top 100 favourite video games of all time to talk about something a bit different. (laughs) And that is architecture. Bloody hell. And before we wax lyrical about some of your faves, such as Anthony Gaudi, Christopher Wren, and of course, Andrea Palladio, we will qualify this as talking about our favourite architecture in video games. Now, as video games have developed and evolved and added more and more dimensions, polygons and pixels for our eyes to gorge upon, we've been treated to some incredible environments, habitats, worlds and buildings in video games. And we want to chat a bit today about which ones mean the most to us, some of our favourite video game structures and, and what we think of gaming architecture in general. And as a lovely place to start is with the question, which building from a video game would you like to live in? Aside from the obvious answer of my house in Animal Crossing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Chris, would you like to kick off by telling us which building from a video game you would like to dwell within? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's good that you um, mention Animal Crossing first, because as as much as that is the place where you should be able to customise, you know, the most and and present essentially a, a, a version of the place you want to live my houses in animal crossing are always a fucking mess <laughs> riddled with cockroaches yeah I, I spend i spend a lot of time in the first few weeks like filling the entrance room basically with every item i, I collect yeah and it, it just it's just wall to wall just stuff then there's normally at least one room that ends up being like a, a themed room. So in um, New Horizons, that was like the the Easter Bunny Day room. Oh yeah, and had all, had all the egg furniture and everything, and that was like the pristine room that included everything. And then most of the other rooms, I either completely ignore or I put a single item I find funny in it, like a, a gnome with sunglasses. <laughs> so so actually, I probably wouldn't want to live there. So so what I decided <laughs> instead was going to be. Basically, the the lobby area in Fantasy Star Online that I've played quite a lot oh, of recently. Yes, and it's I don't know. It's it's quite an interesting space because you are essentially inhabiting an area like a colony of spaceships called Pioneer Two. So they're all linked, and and it's one of those places that because I've spent quite a lot of time there, it feels quite homely. And that it's not necessarily like one building as such because it's it's a district of shops like a medical bay, the the guild counter where you get your quests and things like that. But I can imagine alongside that the bit you don't see you would have a sort of living quarter that's that's maybe like sort of pod style living or very new age, very like Tokyo living. Mm. And I think that would be just a nice counterpoint to the sort of bustling community area that's that's in that that sort of central hub. And I, I quite like Fantasy Star as well because it's got a sci-fi aesthetic that's, you know, it's, it's very chunky. It's very bright sci-fi. It's not the sort of neon grungy sci-fi of, of Blade Runner. Mm. And it's not it's not like a lived-in Wild West sort of sci-fi like Star Wars. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a bit more clean and angular and ordered. A bit more utopian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think it would just be a cool place to spend some time. <laughs> if, if I was going to go into space and, and hunt weird monsters down on a, on a planet, I think I'd, I'd live there for a bit. 
Oh, that's lovely. Mine is a bit, a bit of a weird one, and it's certainly at the other end of the spectrum to yours. Because I, I always felt that there was something quite comforting about the little settlements that have been established in the underground stations in Metro 2033. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, I mean, they all felt quite snug and intimate, whilst also obviously having a bit of a cool dystopian edge to their, like, compact, winding, sprawling layout. And... It was it was just great to see that society hadn't given up on home comforts. Yeah, they'd spent time and energy on establishing a sense of community and humanity in the way that you know they built these settlements, and, and that was really nice as well. I think I mean I was writing this today, and there's something that struck me in the last few days about the world at the moment, still in the middle of a global pandemic, but everyone going about like everything's fine, feeling. Yeah entitled to their whims and their creature comforts that they should be keeping in check for the safety of others and restraining themselves from what they usually would be doing this time of the year. And it makes the world a much scarier place than it should be because people are so fucking arrogant and ignorant of the reality of the situation we're all in and seem to think they're all the exception to the rule through sheer pig-headedness. And it it does sort of make me long for a simpler life because, you know, as soon as things are taken away, people start to realise what's actually important, what what they actually need to live and, and what their priorities should be. And that sort of like blitz spirit <laughs> that is in those settlements in Metro 2033 and uh, and the way people have learned to live together in these spaces makes me think that I would quite happily be able to live there. I mean, <laughs> obviously ignore the fact that you can't go above ground and there's terrifying monsters lurking outside your door. But other than that, I think there's uh, there's something very, very nice about their design. And, and I think I would, I would create quite a little comfortable home there. Lovely. How about you, Minty? Hmm... Oh, it's a tricky one because I, I think of all the buildings and video games that I like, and then I remember all the things that happen in those video games, which, you know, things like, like monsters roaming around, um, mad despotic kings <laughs> um, making everybody's lives a misery. And while, yes, it would be nice to have uh, a little, a little, like a, you know, a, a little cottage in one of these. Uh, these 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 lovely lovingly designed and rendered places i just don't want the baggage that comes with it <laughs> overgrown with nern roots <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> i would probably uh, if i had to pick one i would probably um now i've carved out a little life for myself here paint us a picture uh, oh no um i haven't actually painted it I'll tell you about it. Anyway. <laughs> um, I'll settle for that. I would, I would, uh, I would own and run an inn in Final Fantasy VI, hmm. and it would be it would be one of the ones that you come to very early on in the game, and it's also the one where the uh, where the freedom fighters meet and have their secret headquarters underneath. Oh, lovely! So that even though I think to me that's that's the nice sort of. That's the nice uh, balance between. Oh, I really like the aesthetic of um, the sort of uh, the early, the, the early dreary steampunk, and also I don't want my house flattened by um, another worldly beast. So we'll we'll go for the first <laughs> act, Final Fantasy VI, where it's just sort of like human power struggles and like in, insurgents instead of like the embodiment of a of a of an ancient sleeping dormant planet. That's gonna that's gonna come and play volleyball with you or something. Well, quite right. If, yes, yes. <laughs> those are the details I took away about Final Fantasy X. Yes, uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah. <laughs> and these are the things you need to you need to consider when you're buying your first property. 
Like, Definitely. If you're going to get on the ladder, like, <laughs> check the neighbourhood. Waking up and <laughs> coming, coming back from buying the paper and finding out that somebody's replaced your, your flat with just a huge footprint, that drives up your insurance premiums like you wouldn't believe. Exactly. And are there any good places to get halal meats? That's it, yes. you know? It's... <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that because I was chatting with some friends at the weekend about an idea for a game that they wanted to make, which was uh, actually quite similar to something like Adventure Bar Story. Have you ever either of you played that? Yes. Yeah. You basically run, essentially, run like a a restaurant or like a tavern bar in uh, in like a an RPG. Uh, world um yeah my friends were like oh we'd, we'd love to just just run a tavern just simply just run a tavern manage it from day to day but we see these heroes passing through on all these quests and and perhaps we can you know sort of match make people as well if somebody comes through being like oh i would get that treasure if only it weren't for that darn dragon and then like you know a week later you get somebody being like poor i'm so poor but by god i can kill a dragon um and then you're like you guys should talk. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think it would be quite nice. I, I often, yeah, I think there's there's often a very nice sense of uh, serenity in those towns, partly because you get to them after having fought through a cave full of monsters and you just, and you use these, these like little towns and taverns as, as a bit of a rest stop and a respite. But uh, yeah, oh, lovely, lovely stuff. So moving on to our next point of topic, which is our favourite gaming architecture, games that have impressed us for their overall structure and design. And for me, it's hard for me not to have The Witness as the pinnacle here. Obviously, it's a game that I haven't spoken about in my list. It's one that I'm pretty sure is still yet to feature on Chris's list. I like it. (laughs) Everything about The Witness is perfectly designed and perfectly refined. Like the art style is gorgeous and the way that everything fits together is amazing. The way the game wordlessly signposts and teaches you game mechanics feels like telepathic to play. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how I'm learning this, but I am. And it's so well designed that you always feel the right kind of lost, not hopelessly lost, but curiously lost. And the fact that the architecture of the island itself also plays into the puzzles is amazing. And when you realise that, and when you realise how much is hidden around you in plain sight, just mind is blown. I'm not going to say too much about the game now. I will save my full thoughts for it uh, for another day. But uh, yeah, I think when I think of of gaming architecture in terms of how to construct a world, how to construct a game. I just, I can't think of anything that does it better. It's a stunner. What about you guys? I, I want to talk about a game that I, I played prior to making these lists. So it, it was eligible and yet I just forgot it existed. It's, it's one of those ones that I, I just totally slipped me by when I was when I was putting everything together. And I think if I had given it enough thought, it probably would have ranked in maybe the 60s or 70s. Like, it's a mm. game I, I do like, but my, my brain just, just forgot it. It just, just disappeared. And it was only not that long ago, actually. I played through it for a second time on the Switch in handheld when I was en route to your wedding, Jonathan, on the National ah. Express coach. And it is a downloadable game called Submerged. I mean, it's it's a game. It's set in a like a post-apocalyptic future, Love it. and in in the city you're in, the buildings have either been leveled completely, 
or are basically like partially drowned by rising tides. Mm. And and you play as a young girl scouting the, the submerged city in, in search of items to try and tend to your sick, injured brother. Like along the way, you, you unlock sort of pictographic pieces of law to help you flesh out what's happened in this world. Uh, you can take photos. Yeah, love a bit of law. You can take right. photos of, of uh, like the flora and fauna that inhabits this new world. But the main thing you're doing is is climbing buildings. And and it's essentially, it's it's a exploration game but it's it's like a puzzle game because first and foremost what you're doing is you're you're working out like a route between the buildings like venice style almost uh, along the canals of this this world uh, and then one, once you see where you're headed on the horizon you then sail your way in your little boat to the building and then work out the best approach to to basically climb to the summit because the collectibles are always on top and it's just it's really nice to have to explore like the ledges and, and dilapidated crumbling platforms shimmying about monkeying up poles but it's just a really nice time because it's also really plaintive because it's got a really nice paired back score it's got sounds of kind of ambient weather and just the crashing water all the time and and what i really like is it has this sort of recontextualization of what are like brutalist buildings essentially they're big solid you know, skyscraper style buildings. And and in this world, they've just been robbed of all that kind of luster. And, and you've got plant life reclaiming huge chunks of, the, of their exteriors. And, you know, nature is remarkable in that given the opportunity, it will always find a way to, to grow in the most unlikely of places. Mm. And in Submerged, I, I really like how you've got this hybrid of straight line sort of capitalist architecture, big, big square you know, towering buildings that have been humbled by just ivy and vines and seaweed. And what I found when I played it for the second time especially is it's a game that doesn't have any threats. Like I already knew because I'd beaten it before on the PlayStation. There's no no enemies. There's no explosive action. There's no pressure. And kind of knowing that it's a game that you can just take your time with, it's just a real joy to, to scamper up these buildings yeah. and sort of take, take look out over the vast city that's been you know, essentially just taken down a peg or two by natural forces that, that have, you know, always predated us and will probably outlive us as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really nice. And... I would recommend people give it a go because it's, I don't think it's that well known. It's, it's kind of a very small independent studio made it. Um, and it really didn't get that much traction, but somehow I've played through it twice now. Uh, and it should by rights be, be on my list, but you know, we all forget things sometimes. How about you, Minty? What's, uh, what's some of your favorite gaming architecture? Yeah. I, I, do you know what? I've struggled with this question a lot thinking about it. Cause like, I've had trouble sort of distinguishing between like the general aesthetic of a game and like a, a single singular structure, which I really love. Mm. Like, to just throw out an example, uh, I love uh, Windfall Island in The Wind Waker. I love the little mm. quaint houses and like the the big windmill in the in the centre of the town. It's it's just a really well constructed little little uh, market town. Uh, it's, it's not one single piece of architecture so then i moved on to like am i just enjoying how something looks like the collection of textures and the collection of shapes or can i think a little bit deeper into it like what does the building represent what's the building's place in the story like how many buildings are there in games that aren't just sort of overworld placeholders for sprawling dungeons that wouldn't fit inside of them like does that spatial incongruity count against them? So I had all these questions sort of buzzing around in my head, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to pick a building that I just like looking at, and then uh, maybe one that I just like sort of overall. Mm. Um, it's not going to be my favourite, because uh, I mentioned to you yesterday, Jonathan, that my favourite building is also in my favourite video game. <laughs> wow. So 
I think for 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 aesthetic and I guess the the reveal, the one of the one of the later levels in King in the first Kingdom Hearts is a is a is a world called uh, the Hollow Bastion, and it's it 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 sort of serves as the as the uh, as the base of operations for the antagonists. It's it's this sort of strange and twisted menace that has been ravaging all the all the Disneyfied worlds and in the galaxy, and the sort of the growing unease and general feeling that something is off culminates in this one level as you step off uh, the gummy ship you're surrounded you're in sort of this i guess uh you're in this bowl um well not a bowl but like a, a big sort of stone bowl with like waterfalls um but instead of going down the waterfalls are going up Ooh, so crazy so you, you know something's something's amiss <laughs> something's here. happening yeah and then in the just past these waterfalls, or should I, I should say, water get ups, <laughs> um, shit, <laughs> and you shit. see, uh, you see the bastion itself. This, 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 this remarkable, um, this remarkable building. It's just covered in twisted pipes and towers. It's all very strange and sort of. It's almost like vines, really, um, but. Yeah, just made out of huge, like cylindrical pipes, silos, and all the rest of it. It's 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 a very strange thing to look at, but it's also really kind of cool. Mm. And then you get into the castle, and it's just corridors and bookshelves, <laughs> and you're just like, nah, the inside could have been great as well. <laughs> My next pick isn't so much a building as it is a level. It's the ossuary from Dead Cells. Oh yeah, like good shout. Um, yeah, every level Oof. in Dead Cells is so profoundly connected to the overarching lore of the game, and is so uh, it, it it's it it's so driven by the one thing that makes it special, mm. or the one thing that makes it noteworthy in sort of in in that overarching lore. They seems just a shame not to mention them on the list. Yeah, I think the Osh- I think the ossuary is the best of them. It's 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 so bleak and so mm. scary, but it it's is, so yeah. rich in detail. It's so big as well. And it's it's sprawling, mm. sprawling. Lots and lots of dead bodies in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the aesthetic mirrors the danger not only of the level you play through and all the enemies that you that you, that you have to face off against, but also uh, it mirrors the danger of the area that is and it, and the part it plays in sort of i guess the ecosystem of this mysterious island mm. it's a it's a really masterful realization of world building and game design i think but then you know that's just that's just the game itself yeah masterpiece yeah it really is really really is the top one that i'll talk about today is uh, the tower of gods in the wind waker oh yeah uh, it's just i love the fact that once it appears you can see it basically from anywhere on the great sea like like the um the the main sort of capital building in uh in oblivion i remember like mm. you could see that for miles it's just like oh yeah, so awe-inspiring yeah. yeah and like the reveal like this just this miles high tower at the hidden underneath the sea re-emerging to um to provide the final test for you to awaken as the hero and then when you go in it's sort of got all these all the strange um facades water pouring out of their mouths as they snarl and Oh, it's just a very, very clear and, yeah, just a really clear art design to it. Mm. But also um, the fact that you eventually reach the top of the tower 
You climb higher in your quest to receive the power of the goddesses. You overcome all the trials as you move up the tower. But also, um, the thing that really um, that really sealed the deal for me was at some points you would go outside and climb up the stairs around the mm. around the side of the building. So you're like, oh, this isn't just this isn't just another like a this isn't just a, a, a dungeon in a tube like. I am actually scaling the Tower of the Gods, and yeah, it's it's just mm, it's just a real, really great use of the building as the structure, as opposed to just come inside and just do some stuff. Loved it. Wonderful, wonderful, excellent stuff. So, our final point of topic is our favourite building in a video game. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. What is our favourite building in a video game? And I appreciate, Minty, you have decided to keep uh, your number one game back for discussion today. But mm-hmm. could you kick us off with uh, with your, I guess, possibly second favourite building <laughs> in a video game? <laughs> hmm. Yes. Yes, I could. I, uh, I really, really like the Clock Tower in Majora's Mask. It's not a particularly impressive building. It's not imposing. There's not a huge amount to do in it. Um, when you when you start the game, you you walk into Termina through the through like the inner workings of it and you see all like the wooden I guess like cogs and mm. wheels and everything sort of turning around. Giant ants on treadmills powered by large potatoes. Love a potato. Yes, yeah. Just driving steam into that massive pocket organ that the Happy Mask salesman has. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you you sort of like, oh, okay. Well, this is just this is just a, a corridor that I'm going through, uh, with some bits of wood that turn just for like you know a little bit of life, a little bit of detail, and then you you come out and you're like, oh, okay. Well, it's a big clock tower, and in Clock Town you've got all every building you go into. It seems like has. A clock that's synced to the tower it has the same design on it so all the while throughout the game not only do you have the uh, the little like sundial thing at the bottom but you have this constant and relentless reminder that you do not have a lot of time and as the game goes on exploring that sense of like this is this this, this countdown should be something which invokes great celebration is now inspiring dread in people and causing them to flee like, as a symbol of what the game is about i think the clock tower in clock town is probably one of the strongest that i can think of and for for a building that's not particularly impressive to look at the weight it carries in the story is oh yeah wow it's 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 Mm, it's unparalleled, really. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. Oh, yes, indeed. For me, my favourite building in a video game is a fairly clear choice, and that is for a specific level in Thief 2, The Metal Age, which is a game yet to appear on my list. So this is a very exclusive bit of content for you lovely, lucky Patreons. <laughs> and the, uh, the level in question is called Life of the Party. Now, one of the brilliant things about the first two Thief games is that the levels were always one full, complete area. You didn't have to load the interiors of the buildings or or different sections of the map. And this was a shame that it moved into this territory in Deadly Shadows and Thief 4 because it really helped the locations feel like they have a real sense of place and, and grounded them in reality. 
and the levels in Thief 2 were significantly bigger than the levels in Thief 1. And I got my first taste of this level in the demo that was released, which was it was quite like an earlier revision of the level, even had a different name, The Uninvited Guest. And the idea of this level is that there is a prestigious party happening in the grand building called Angel Watch, which uh, is being hosted by the game's antagonist, a man called Karras. And your character, Garrett, the thief, thief, needs to sneak into the party to steal some important plans to try and bring Karras down. But before you even get to Angel Watch, you have a good 45 minutes to an hour of play as you sneak across the rooftops of the city. And it means that when you finally see Angel Watch as this monolithic building towering grandly over the rest of the city, it really strikes you that this this place is is important and reverential and 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 deeply oppressive. It's, it's a it casts a literal shadow over the whole city, and it's huge as well. Like you get an even more profound sense of this because you've just crawled across like half the city to get there, so you have an accurate perspective of its of its place, and you enter. As you would expect, not through the front doors. No, 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 no. <laughs> Creeping up through the ventilation system. So you go from from like a big open area of the rooftops into a tiny crawl space before it then opens up again in this building. And, uh, and you cautiously start to explore around inside. And you're really struck by the, the opulence that's on display inside this building because it contrasts so massively with the, you know, the sort of the medieval style of of the rooftops you've just climbed over. And you start off in like the servants' quarters and you can see people getting ready to host the party and sort of servants rushing about. Then you can explore the upper floors where the party is taking place. That I mean, there's about seven floors in this building, all with loads of stuff going on, each with their own atmosphere. And it, it feels amazing to explore it. Like you really get a sense of of danger and you know like the fact that there's all this uh, uh revelry going on in this party and the fact that then you're you're sneaking around it like oh it just it feels fantastic and you have to move very very slowly and cautiously through the building because you don't want to alert people to your presence and and there's lots of people around and there's also lots of open spaces that that sort of tie into the grandiosity of, of the uh, of the design of this building and so you feel very, very exposed as well at times, trying to run through these larger areas. And you finally get down to like the bottom floor, where there it's just enormous, sort of like opens up almost as like a, like a, oh, I don't know, like an auditorium. And there are gramophones playing audio recordings of Karis's thoughts that he's recorded, and it just very creepily refers to you being there. Oh, and clearly he. He has anticipated your presence there, and it makes you feel so vulnerable. It's just, oh, it's just an amazing atmosphere. Like, its design is fantastic. I mean, I love the design of the game itself. Like, and I'll talk more about that when it appears in my list. But I think the reason why it's my favourite building in a video game is 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 it it feels so alive. And and this was the first time I, I'd really experienced this in a video game. Like, I know that in reality, obviously, the game is loading elements in to the game as you come towards them. But but when I was younger, it really felt that, like, all the inhabitants, that they're going about on their little loops all the way up until you reach the building. You know, this was a real city, a real building with real people. It's just, ugh, it's so brilliant. It's 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 so brilliant. I, I ugh, Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk more about the game another <laughs> time. But, uh, so I'll restrain myself for now. And... Uh, Yes, hand it over to Chris for to finish us off by talking about your favourite building in a video game. 
Well, mine uh, appears in a game that's already been on my list. Uh, it's mm. It was in my, my 30th favourite video game in Crackdown. Mm. I mentioned in that episode about jumping off the agency building into a little swimming pool at its base. Yeah. And and this building is it's kind of, it's my favourite piece of architecture in a game because of not just that event, but because it's got a real layered usage in this game. So it's it's the centre of the entire map, like it's the the centre of the whole city, and and it really does act like the centre of a sort of panopticon. So it, it you know it houses the agency in the centre, the organisation that you work for, which is very much like a we're the goodies, but maybe we're not the goodies sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, and and it has that kind of narrative crux that it's meant to be an all seeing platform that can kind of see the entirety of the island and, and all the kind of gang areas that you eventually venture into. So it's got a good, you know, sense of environmental storytelling to it. It's your starting point when you first boot up your, your initial save, because you, you begin in, in kind of the underbelly of the tower, which is where you can collect a, a vehicle and then get out into the world. It's, it's a really nice navigational aid because it's again it's it's massive it's right in the middle you can see it wherever you are on the map so it helps kind of orientate yourself no matter where you end up being it also for me it's it's like a showcase for that generation's processing power and again i I touched upon this when when we sort of had it in the episode that it is a vast tall building and we'd seen those before in things like you know san andreas had whole cities in it and and halo has it's like titular kind of ring that that goes around the entire the entire planet but this isn't just background architecture here it's something that you can spot and you can run to and you can drive to and then you can climb up ledge by ledge and it's a functional curated piece of architecture so it's it's not just like a flat shaded or or basically textured structure that sits in the distance it's it's something you can walk to the front door of and then get to the top of so it has more kind of like a, a purposeful use than buildings had in games to date it's also a puzzle. And again, I, I mentioned this, that it's kind of uh, what I enjoyed a lot about Crackdown is is kind of the spatial puzzles, the moment to moment spatial puzzles of, of seeing something, trying to work out how I get there. Can I climb past that point? Can I leap from here to there? And that's really kind of satisfying that it's, it's basically the 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 summation of of that whole play style as it were like you know the, the whole game is about seeing things and getting on top of them and and this is the biggest thing to get on top of it's a proper cyberpunk centerpiece and and thematically that's really nice that it ties together this whole world that it's not just a gta clone even though it kind of looks like that from from a distance it's a game that's more about like your super soldier character and and the deus ex style augmentations and that all comes out of this this you know quite secretive shadowy agency building and and lastly it's it's proper justification i think for the Xbox 360's achievement system, which I've, I've mentioned lots of times in, in episodes previously, <laughs> yeah. my kind of relationship with it. But what achievements always should have been, really, for me, is something which pushes you to play a game slightly differently and, and explore bits you might not have seen otherwise. And I think it's, it's easy to kind of lament how few games actually did this. Uh, bearing in mind that you know the vast majority of games now will have achievements like kill 50 million people uh you know <laughs> that that's a good 2000 hours past the time you'd actually finish the game so it becomes a way yeah. of just like forcing you to play when when you're really not in the mood but crackdown i think got this absolutely right because if nothing else it has this this one two sort of punch of achievements one called high flyer which just reads, make your way to the top of the agency tower. And then base jumper, which says, jump from the top of the agency tower and land in the water below. Brilliant. And when when you first boot the game up, that's a real like 
thrilling carrot on a stick mm, yeah. because your your, char- your character is not good enough to do either of these things, but you're told straight away, but you will be. Um, and that's a real sort of tantalizing way just to get you to to view the world as something bigger than what's right in front of you. Mm. And and that building becomes the thing that you go back to every few hours, you know, as your agility increases, you think, well, I could probably climb a little bit higher. Can I, can I make it to the top yet? And it's really nice to see kind of you, you build up from your, your lowly starting character to eventually be, you know, this, this guy who can leap 15 stories at once, who's just clambering his way to the top. Yeah. It's, it's a great game and it's, it's a great building. <laughs> that's all there is to it really fantastic well there we go that is a little glimpse into how our brains have processed architecture in video games hopefully you've enjoyed this and if you have any suggestions for future special exclusive episodes please do let us know there's no point in doing the usual shout outs you guys are already following us avidly supporting us and being all round excellent centurions <laughs> good eggs <laughs> bloody eggs (laughs) so yes we will see you next time as we resume our top 100 favorite video games of all time countdown games (laughs) cut that one together excellent and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the Gathering. Come along and play! Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network.